Hello, and thank you for joining us again on Into the Prey. We've got a quick favour to ask you guys before listening to this week's episode. We want to ask you to go ahead to rate and review Into the Prey so that we can lift the level of what we're doing further. Visibility in the podcast charts would help with that massively. It would also help to address the imbalance where folk can often be very specific and more than willing to leave reviews or so-called reviews when they're not happy with what we're doing. So there are, we believe, a vast majority of you who are happy and appreciative and grateful. It'd be very good to convert that into rates and reviews that give us a more reflective presence in the podcast chart so if you go ahead and do that we've also got a new patreon page if you want to become one of our patrons stroke supporters please do follow that link look at the information and consider doing that as well thanks again for listening and please do feel free to use the contact page to drop us a line with any questions thoughts or reflections the devil wants that on the one half is the blessing camp and on the other half is the repent camp that's what the devil wants okay and that is what's happening but actually, it comes back to this misunderstanding of what it means to, to know and worship and love a good God. Is that the blessing is the repentance. God, for all intents and purposes, needn't be there. And we need to recapture a sense of the godness of God, the greatness of God, the majesty of God. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this 39th episode of Into the Prey, Breaching the Chaos of the Church with Nick and Mary Franks. It's really a real, real joy today to meet with Christopher Ash from Edinburgh down to Cambridge. I think you're in Cambridge. I am. Yes. The kind of yes. the epicentre of learning and quality Christian literature. That's what Cambridge people like to think in our arrogance. <laughs> Yeah, Cambridge and Oxford, I don't know. Is there, is there, is there a bit of a, a tension? Is it a bit like Devon and Cornwall when it comes to cream teas? Where, what, you know, is there a bit of rivalry between Cambridge and Oxford? There probably is, but I think it's largely light-hearted. Yeah, indeed. Um, Christopher, thank you for your time. I know you're very busy spinning multiple plates and it can be difficult to, 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 to find time for these kind of things. So, so I'm grateful, we're grateful. Would you mind just quickly introducing yourself? Because, I mean, some people will know who you are and others won't have heard of you in any way. So it would be good just to sort of set the context before we have a conversation. Yes, very gladly. I'm married to Carolyn and we have children and uh, grandchildren in God's kindness. Um, we live in Cambridge now. I've been a maths teacher. I've worked in the telecoms industry. And then in my mid-30s, I went into Christian pastoral ministry. And I um, led a small church plant. And then uh, for 11 years, I was working with the Cornhill training course in London, training preachers and Bible teachers. And for the last six years, I've been back in Cambridge um, with Carolyn, and I'm what they call writer in residence at Tyndale mm. House. And it's a wonderful position, it means I have all the privileges of the facilities and the fellowship um, in order to help me write. Mm -hmm. And do you, do you want to say a little bit about your writing? Because it's directly rele relevant to our conversation today about Psalms, the book of Psalms, and um, how that links to Luke 24. And again, this is why it's such a brilliant um, connection with you, because you probably won't like me saying this, but you're, you are an authority on the Psalms, having written several books on them. Well, you're very kind. Um, uh, the Psalms are bewilderingly deep and wonderful, and it's hard for anyone to be an authority. I wrote a little book on Psalm 119 called Bible Delight, mm -hmm. which I really enjoyed writing. Mm -hmm. I wrote a couple of little paperback volumes for Christian Focus called Teaching Psalms, and the first volume is my attempt to, to sort of introduce how we should approach the Psalms as Christians. And the second volume uh, is my attempt at a very, very, very brief Christian introduction to each Psalm. I've written one for the Good Book Company called Psalms for You, with an attempt to expound uh, a small number of Psalms. And I'm working now on a much bigger project mm -hmm. for the American publisher Crossway. Uh, a three-volume commentary on how we read the Psalms Christianly with a little companion volume setting out um, why I think this is um, at least a defensible way of, 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 of doing things. So mm. it's, it's a big work. 
but yeah. um, I, I'm working on it. I'm glad to have published what I have published. Um, I'm sure it needs nuancing and tweaking, but um, it's got me started at any rate. Mm-hmm. And that title of, of of that book, Bible Delight, as it so happens, is one of the one of the books that Mary, my wife, and I would have pointed. I think I mentioned this to you in our emails back and forth, but it's one of the books that we would point to over the last three or four years through quite a lot of travail through different contexts and, and reasons that have uh, has been a very significant book. Um, and I know we're not doing a book review session now, but perhaps you could maybe just say a little bit by way of summary of that particular book of, of Psalm 119. We're talking about the whole of the Psalms, of course, today. In, yes. In passing. Uh, Psalm 119 is wonderful. And I had the opportunity in one or two places to try to teach or preach right through it. Um, I, once over a Bible summer school, trying to do that. Mm-hmm. And it was an exhilarating experience. And one of the things that came through to me is the suffering of the psalmist and how conscious he is that his sufferings have been a blessing uh, in the goodness of God to him. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's been a significant thing uh, alongside working on the book of Job, which is another thing I've worked on mm-hmm. uh, a certain amount. And again, that theme of Christian suffering is is a very important one. It is, although not for every Christian or denomination it's a it's a an often neglected aspect of christian sojourn isn't it i think anyway um i'm keen today if 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 we can in the short time we have just to talk about the way that psalms as a book may not be the first book in the bible that people think about when they think about jesus opening to those two disciples on the road to emmaus all in through all the different prophetic peaks and troughs um, all the scriptures, everything regarding himself. That's what it says in, in our kind of anchor verse. Um, we had a really great session. I know you know Andy. Andy's one of my close friends, Andy Harker, who did a, a brilliant session looking at the life of David and um, as the prophet, you know. People often think about him as king and as shepherd and so on, but as a prophet, he is certainly um, key. So do, would you mind just... Ki- kind of teeing us off and we'll just see how we go and, and where we go. I've got my Bible here if if that's relevant at your end as well. But maybe maybe you could just say something generally about how the Psalms as a book are prophetic and how um and how that might have I know we're talking in a in a sense of conjecture because we don't know for sure what Jesus said about the Psalms or any of the prophets, but clearly Psalms were were you know a key part of what he would have talked about. Yes, uh, certainly. I mean, David is described as a prophet in Acts chapter 2, and I'm sure Andy uh, spoke about that. He, he's a spokesman for God. It wasn't that he wrote all the Psalms, um, but I think we can take it that all the Psalms are written by the Spirit of Christ. And according to 1 Peter 1, uh, all the prophets, uh, the Spirit of Christ was working in them. Mm-hmm. So they had this hazy uh, sense that they were they were speaking of a, of sufferings and glory that would later be revealed, and I do think we see that in the Psalms. Uh, the, the the linchpin really of my work on the Psalms, uh, and I've done this since publishing the previous books, has been a really careful study of all the quotations in the New Testament. And as many as I could find of the identifiable echoes of the Psalms in the mm-hmm. New Testament, of which there are many. Yeah. And it's been a fascinating study. Would this be a good time to sort of summarise my c- conclusions from, from, from that study? Please do. Feel free. I mean, it, it's, it's trying to pull together an enormous uh, amount of... Um, information really pieces of a jigsaw Mm. because it's not just the explicit quotations of the psalms but all sorts of echoes some of them clearer and stronger than others but many many echoes and what i discovered in 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 headline is that there are three ways in which the new testament writers um, by the spirit of god understand the psalms The first, uh, and this is perhaps the dominant one, 
is that again and again and again, they hear in the Psalms the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ in his human nature, his sufferings, his expectation Mm -hmm. of vindication, his future glory, uh, and and so on. A man man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, etc. Yes, and and it's it's, uh, the best known would be Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm -hmm. Um, Or into your hands I commit my spirit, Psalm 35. Um, But there's much, much else. And uh, again and again, when the Lord Jesus says in John chapter 12, my soul is troubled, Mm. that seems to be an echo from the Psalms. And the Psalms give us a window into the the soul of the incarnate Son Mm. of God. Mm. So that's the first, um, Jesus in his human nature, a window into his soul, which the Gospels give us little hints of, but not very much. There's not often in the Gospels that you get a, a sense of what was Jesus feeling. But the Psalms, I think, give us a, a lot of that. The second is that um, from time to time, the Psalms speak of Jesus in his divine nature. So he is the one to whom the Father entrusts the judgment of the world um, in, in Acts 17. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the Father has given this judgment to him. And that's an echo from Psalms. Um, so that's the second one. So you, you've got this kind of composite fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ, fully human and fully divine. But the third one, and we may want to explore these, mm-hmm. the third is that on a number of occasions, we find in the Psalms an overflow from Christ to his church. That is to say, those who are in Christ, Mm -hmm. the church of Christ, the members of whom he is the head, uh, experience in some measure the sufferings of Christ, expect the glory of Christ to share in that glory. And it's for that reason that the Psalms become ours. Mm -hmm. They're not ours by virtue of our own merit. They're they're ours uh, simply because we belong to Christ. So that's just really in headline. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot that lies behind that. Yeah. Um, but that's uh, of all the things I've done. And I've looked at Christian history. We might like to talk about that. Um, uh, and, and I've looked at ways in which the Psalms themselves seem to speak in a way that points forward, point point beyond themselves we might want to speak about that mm-hmm. um, but it it pulls together a picture which really helps i think in in reading the psalms christianly yeah christianly yeah is a good way of putting it the 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 unfortunate reality is that when you talk about prophetic that word is often unhelpful or vague or ambiguous or even contradictory um most commonly, I would suggest that people tend to think of a future predictive element to the word. Um, we, we've talked in recent weeks. Um, in fact, I, I've done some writing on this as well to do with divine, what a chap called Abraham Heschel talks about. And folk who listen to us will probably be fed up of me talking about this. But it's, I think it's a very important distinction that um, helped me to understand that prophetic wasn't even primarily to do with a futuristic predictive reality, but more what you've just mentioned, the, 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 the mystery of somehow sharing in or em, empathizing is maybe a better word, I don't know, um, with the suffering of, of God. Um, and it's something you just said there to do with that, I can't quite remember how you put it, Christopher, maybe you could <laughs> help me and remind me, but maybe that would be a good thing to talk about partly because of the times that we're living in i'm keen mm. for i'm keen for this to be a, applicable for i think what should be a distressing reality um if you if your heart is godward in this day and age and you're completely at peace and not distressed or experiencing any of that kind of divine divine pathos as it were then there's something wrong you know the, is there a spiritual pulse there so i don't know maybe you could major on that in the limited limited time that we have the the, the sense in which the Psalms are a unique book, aren't they? I think that's what you're saying, is that they're, of all the books in the Bible, where do we tend to go 
the most if we're suffering? Well, Psalm 23, it's in the book of Psalms, obviously. It's, there's something unique about the prophetic um, literature of the Psalms that, that relates to suffering and therefore I think is particularly poignant for, for today. Would, would, you, would you agree? I think um, the Psalms, what, what, the Psalms are the word of God in a different way from much of the rest of the scriptures. So most of the scriptures, the law, the prophets, the gospels, the New Testament letters, um, the book of Proverbs, are, are the word of God, as it were, coming down to us. And our job is to listen, to heed, to believe, um, to obey. But the Psalms, or, or much of the Psalms, is the word of God spoken by us. Because they're inspired by the Spirit, it's almost as though they are words spoken by God to God. And we get caught up in, to, in that. Mm -hmm. And they therefore shape and teach not only how we pray, but how we feel. Because our affections are all mm -hmm. disordered. We, we don't care much about things we should care about passionately. We care a lot about things which are worthless or even evil. And the Psalms reshape our thinking and our feeling and, and shape our prayer life. And, and there's a real sense, I think, in which um, the prophetic dimension properly understood is it means that there are words spoken from God, given by the Spirit, given to us so that we may speak and understand and feel and desire as we ought. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a, I think Calvin in his introduction says that one of the things the Psalms do is to sweeten sour emotions, uh, ch change the way we feel uh, because it puts everything under the cross. Mm -hmm. So there's a tremendous sense in which a, uh, a life that is shaped by singing, praying, saying the Psalms um, will be a life that increasingly prays according to the will of God. And uh, it will be, we'll become people who are being shaped um, yes. by the Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just as you'd said that, because this is, I mean, I'm, I'm struggling to know where to go in one sense, because there is so much to talk about and it's, it's um, tantalizing, but you talk about singing in in Bible delight, um, and maybe that that would be without being too kind of like here, there, and everywhere with this. But it might be quite helpful to speak about that because that will be a foreign thing for many people, I think. Um, yes, oh, indeed, and I don't want to make denominational points or anything like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. In Colossians three sixteen and Ephesians five nineteen. Paul says that the church, he assumes the church will be um, uh, singing what he calls psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And all those three words, psalms, hymns, and songs, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, they mainly refer to the psalms, all of them. So it's not psalms and then other things. Yeah. It's psalms, psalms, and more psalms. I don't think you can prove that it's only psalms. There are other songs, for example, in the book of Revelation. Um, but uh, what's happened with, in many of our churches is we don't sing them at all. Mm -hmm. And there must be something wrong about that. Mm -hmm. There must be something wrong about that in, yeah. in the light of Ephesians and Colossians. So we are singing words written not by inspiration of the Spirit. And some of them from our best songwriters and old hymn writers are wonderful. Yeah, uh, they're precious to us, but they're not inspired by the Spirit. They're not Scripture, mm -hmm. and we've somehow managed to lose the singing of these scriptural, God-given words. Mm -hmm. And I would love us to recapture that and rediscover how to um, to 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 do that and to mm -hmm. do it well, because mm -hmm. there's something about singing that engages our emotions and affections. And it can do that for good or ill. You sing bad words, it engages our affections and emotions in a wrong direction. Indeed, yeah. Sing, I mean, sing God-given words, mm -hmm. it'll engage our affections in a good direction. So mm. I, I think it would be wonderful if we can begin. Mm -hmm. uh, I think some denominations and some churches do sing 
psalms, often in metrical versions. Um, I know that Matt Searles um, over in Oxford is doing some wonderful work um, seeking to record congregational versions of mm. psalms so that we can all join in the singing. It's not a performance, something mm-hmm. we all join in. And I, I pray for God's help to all musicians who can do that kind of thing, put them back into our mm-hmm. uh, hands and our voices as as congregations. Yeah. And, and as you say or allude to um, very graciously, you know, for that not to be a denominational thing, you know, or a denominational style that some people as Christians do and others just, as I say, it's very foreign. It's, um, yeah, I mean, one of, the, one of the things we talk about in this podcast a lot is trying to breach the chaos of the church. And for that, I noted that might not mean much to you, but in the sense of what, that's a good example, you know, that, that psalms being sung in one aspect of denominational Christianity, but not in others, is is a travesty in many ways. You know, it's it's such an elementary, or should be an elementary part of what it means to be a disciple. Um, yes, well, I think that's right in view of Colossians and Ephesians, and most of Christian history supports that. Mm-hmm. I perhaps I could just comment on that. This is this is a dated observation, but it may have some relevance. Mm-hmm. In the 1960s, I was converted in the early 1970s, um, and it was the sort of time when the charismatic movement was sweeping through um, many evangelical churches in England. And as always with these movements, it was a mixture of good and not so good. Um, But one of the sad consequences was that there became a sort of divorce between those who would label themselves charismatic, who did emotion in a big way. There was a lot of emotion, there was a lot of feeling in their meetings. And in reaction against that, those who termed themselves conservative or non-charismatic sometimes became dry and cerebral. Mm -hmm. And if there's anything in that, the Psalms are the way to to do emotion well, yeah. So that we we our emotions are in line with what God says our emotions should be, mm-hmm. and I think there's a real sense in which a, a rediscovery of the Psalms can help us, whatever our church background, to to, to think and to feel as God wants us to feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the word is affections, isn't it? Which is probably quite an old word for for some people, but it but it means something I think quite different to perhaps a, a modern day use. I mean, if you think of the likes of Jonathan Edwards, I'm not a Jonathan Edwards expert at all, or the Puritans generally. You know, there, there was a different meaning to that word, wasn't there? Yes, it was a little bit more than emotions. It included emotions, but it's 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 what I desire. Uh, what I want, and by contrast, what I run away from, mm-hmm. what I hate and dislike and won't go near. So it's it engages the will as well as the emotions, um, the, the the godly affections. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the collects in the Church of England puts it. I mean, old-fashioned language. Let me see if I can find it. Yes, here we are. Mm. Um, this is the collect for the fourth Sunday after. Easter, in a slightly modern version, um, Almighty God, you alone can order the unruly wills and passions of sinful people. Grant that your people may love what you command and desire what you promise, and so on. Mm-hmm. And it's that sense of having having our desires ordered, yeah, so that we want what we ought to want, mm-hmm. and we run away from what we ought not to want. Yeah. Yes. And again, there's much that we could talk about that. I'm I'm tempted to talk about the dysfunction within affections, within the, the dynamic you just observed there to do with the charismatic movement, um, some of which was good and some of which um, wasn't. But I'm, I'm keen to know what you think. I mean, because this is... Uh, an episode in a, in a sense a series of looking at different prophets we've covered the major prophets or some of them and none of it's comprehensive of course it's 
just scratching the surface. But do you think we could maybe think about Luke twenty four twenty seven? Um, and just the critical dynamic of the way that Jesus opened up. Um, he opened the hearts of these men, didn't he? Um, but he also opened the scriptures. Um, is there anything that you think you could just maybe say that would be helpful um, thinking about that moment in history where that happened and there was this, you know, the light bulb moment for these two chaps who then hurried back to Jerusalem? Um Regarding Jesus himself, I mean, I think with Andy we talked about some of the messianic psalms and the foreshadowing that, that David was of Christ himself. Is there anything that kind of strikes you just just thinking, you know, having covered Moses and Elijah and Elisha and so on, that you could maybe say about the psalms generally? Is that Does that make sense? Yes, certainly. I, I mean, I'm sure there's huge overlap with what Andy will have said about the life of David, because the sufferings of David, both at the beginning under Saul when he was anointed but not yet come into the kingdom, and then in the rebellion of his son Absalom later, uh, presumably lie behind many, if not most, of the sufferings in the the Psalms um, of David. And there's a a real... um, sense in which those sufferings foreshadow the sufferings of Christ, God's anointed king, and yet not as yet acknowledged as king by the whole universe, as one day he will be. Uh, And so there's a tremendous carryover, really, into the um, the, 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 the sufferings of Jesus. And I suppose the disciples on the Emmaus Road were struggling with you know, we had hoped mm-hmm. he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, not surprisingly, they find it very hard to grasp mm-hmm. that uh, a man who had been subjected to the most degrading, scandalous, horrible death, probably known to human history, mm-hmm. um, could, could be the one who was going to redeem Israel. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, we, we, you're right that we don't know what the Lord Jesus said to them. And we don't know what he said to all the disciples in the 40 days after mm-hmm. his resurrection. And we all think, wouldn't it be wonderful <laughs> if we could listen to those times of teaching? But we have the fruit of it. And I take it that when we read the apostolic writers in the New Testament, and we see, we ask them, so how do you understand the Old Testament? The answer is we understand the Old Testament because the Lord Jesus opened them up to us. And this is how the spirit of Jesus opens them up to us. So in one sense, we do know what he said. At least we know mm-hmm. the, the outcome of yeah. what he said from the way the New Testament um, understands the Old Testament. And certainly I've found this most wonderfully with um, psalm after psalm. Mm. It, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's thrilling. I, I've been working this today on writing up Psalm 74 for this commentary. And it's a psalm about the destruction of the temple uh, by the Babylonians in uh, 587, 586 BC. And it's, it's a grim description at the beginning of how awful it was. And part of the light that the New Testament sheds on it is Jesus says of his own body, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days in John chapter 2. Yeah. And there's a real sense in which the destruction of the temple is fulfilled in the death of Jesus, although it overflows into the troubles of Christ's church. And there are a number of other ways in which Psalm 74 uh, finds fulfillment in Christ. I could mm-hmm. happily talk about that because that's what I've been doing today. People need to buy your book though, don't they? That's that's the that's the key element. First I need to write it. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a it's um it's, I, the thought of doing that would be uh, a joy, so I'm sure you're enjoying it as well. But I'm sure it's also 
I don't know. I'm, if we weren't recording now, I'd love to talk to you and pick your brain about writing in the way that you do. I'm sure that you hit brick walls and have moments where you're not sure what, how this book is going to come into into fruition. Plenty. Yeah. Um, I'm conscious of our time here, and I know that whenever I connect with with someone like you and start talking like this, I always I always feel instinctively like there's a need for multiple conversations and a bit more structure to get the most out of it but I'm hoping that it's giving people a glimpse at least of um the wellspring that the book of psalms are but obviously the whole bible is um I think maybe to finish before we pray I, I I'm keen just to kind of as it were open up think to you I don't know if you've got anything that's that's on your mind I'm sure you're very focused on Psalm 74 but is there anything generally as a as a very experienced Christian leader um whether or not related directly to the psalms it's not really what i mean but just generally at the moment with this with this um with our our point in history world history and church history um you know the implosion of things on a socio-cultural level um there's so much to say. I mean, it's difficult to be concise here, but thinking of the affections and the Psalms and the uniqueness of the book and how the prophetic works in all of this and how denomination works in with all of this and the kingdom of God in the midst of us, you know, let your will, co- you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth and so on. It, what, what's on your heart is what I'm trying to say. That's a, that's, that's, that's a waffly way of saying what's on your heart um, and in your mind, particularly at this point. Oh, well, gladly. Uh, share something of that. I find myself, it's partly my age, um, but I find myself struggling with deep discouragement about the state of the Church of Christ, and I'm part of the problem. We live in a culture where the movement of our culture is rapidly away from Christian faith. People can't make head or tail of it. They think the whole thing is completely unbelievable in Western cultures. And it's moving very fast and very strongly uh, against us. And uh, I'm just very conscious of that, as I'm sure many who are listening will be. Mm. In addition, there's the sadness of multiple scandals, which are deeply disillusioning, deeply, deeply disillusioning. And I think the way the Psalms lament the state of God's people again and again, and yet always lament with hope, there's always this sense of holding on to the covenant promises of God and that one day the Messiah will come and one day the Messiah will ascend and one day the Messiah will be vindicated and one day the Messiah's people will be completed And I find the Psalms again and again, they help me, first of all, to express the feelings of discouragement and and misery and deep disillusion and just sadness uh, about the state of the Church of Christ. I'm not criticizing anybody because I'm part of the problem, Um, but all of us, we know what it feels like to be part of a church which is flawed and weak and the psalms really help with that because so much of uh, uh, in the psalms is spoken in the context of suffering the suffering of the messiah the suffering of his people Uh, but uh, but as i say always with hope and again and again and again you get that so forgive me but psalm 74 the first 11 verses are deep lament and then verses 12 to 17 this is extraordinarily bright ray of hope that comes in Mm -hmm. um, at that point and that's just typical again and again of of the psalms is there anything is there anything in particular of psalm 74 that you wanted to just i don't know hold hold a highlighter pen over as it were now Um, yes 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 um let me just open my copy in front of me here I, it would be from verses 12 to six, twelve to um, 17, mm-hmm. and it, perhaps it would be verses 16 and 17, uh, where the psalmist looks, goes right back to creation, 
And he says, yours is the day, yours also the night. You've established the heavenly lights and the sun. You've fixed the boundaries of the earth. You've made summer and winter. In other words, the the stability of the created order guarantees um, that God's people, the broken church, guarantees that the broken church will be um, restored. Mm. And it's a wonderful thing that the the completion of God's church and the defeat of evil is as sure as sunrise tomorrow morning. And yeah, as you were just saying, and I think it's great power. Whenever when you you know, I, I when someone shares a testimony like you just said, I mean, it takes the conversation in a very clear direction, and it's very powerful. When someone shares a testimony like that, um, just being honest enough to express lament, um, I wish we would do that more. I wish all of us would do that more, and I wish our church leaders would do that more. I wish it was more part of our everyday, as it were, church culture. Um, how can we be in the world but not of the world and lament be so far from the normal rhythms of church? Yes, no, you're 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 so right, and I thank God for songwriters who have begun to write some songs expressing lament. Uh, the Psalms have many like that, and we do need to learn to to do that. Otherwise, our church life together will be superficial. Mm-hmm. And we'll really be in denial. We'll be saying everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine and happy. Well, in the end, everything will be fine and happy. But it isn't now. Mm -hmm. And uh, we need to lament and we need to pray Mm -hmm. and hold on to the promises of of God. I'm just looking at this. um, I'm just looking at the, the scripture here. Um, that you just highlighted those two verses. Yours is the day. Yours also the night. You've established the heavenly lights and the sun. Even even looking at that, it makes me think of the reality of the Lord's return because that should be the governing again. Should this is something that we as a signature thing that we talk about on this podcast. Um, why is so much of, of what happens within the church not evidently revolving around the return of Jesus as a priority um, or something that we even believe in? You know, it's it's a, it's a theoretical assent a lot of the time, I think, a the, theological agreement. But in practice, how does it shape our how does it shape our discipleship? You know, the, Thessalon- the Thessalonians would had it drilled into them. At the point of conversion, which must which must have made a radical difference to what their discipleship looked like, you know. Um, so when I look at this, when I look at this scripture here, and I, I, th- I think of the sun, of course, it's that sense in which there's the realm beyond that which we can see and understand the supernatural realm, um, and it's so important that the church. Um, Lives in that reality, allows that to be a reality. Is what I'm trying to say. So that, so that you know, lament and singing, 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 and it's, it's lament and hope. It's the it's the bittersweet. It's the it's the both and of the kingdom of God, isn't it? I think that it's it's so often that we we polarize to to the expense of our corporate health. Um, could I just point? Could I press you? Just for, I know that time is rapidly. Can I just press you on one thing, which I'm which I'm interested in? What you just said in passing there, and you and I find it very helpful to hear others talk of that sense of, and I'm sure other people listening will do as well. The when people talk about the distress, at the the scandals and the moral failures, and we're just about to do a, a start a new vlog series, and the introduction I've entitled wasn't Ravi enough. And and what I'm getting at there is wasn't that enough for us to have a different, more serious cellar? The answer is overwhelmingly no, it wasn't enough. Um when you mentioned there that you 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 weren't set you weren't expressing that with a kind of a pointed accus- accusatory tone or anything, but that you felt you were part of the problem. What, could could I ask? Could could you elaborate on that a little bit? I know that's not 
perhaps the easiest thing to elaborate on, but what, what did you mean by that? Well, I mean, in general, that um, there's never, ever any place for being like a Pharisee and thanking God that one isn't like other people, those bad people out there. I think there may also be a sense in which my generation, broadly speaking, of um, evangelicals in ministry in, in England or indeed in Britain, because um, it probably includes Wales and Scotland, uh, my generation are being made very conscious of our failures. I was saying to a Christian minister in his 30s, just we had lunch together just yesterday, and I was saying to him that my prayer is that his generation will do better than my generation has done. Mm. He looked at me wryly and he said, well, we'll probably just make different mistakes, <laughs> which, which may be true. But um, I, I think there's something of, of getting into your 60s where you, you, you look back and you're just very conscious of the failings of the generation of which I'm apart mm -hmm. they it's, it takes time for those failings to become mm -hmm. evident mm -hmm. um we're, 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 we're always we always tend to be blind to our failings mm -hmm. and sometimes it takes um the scandals or horrible things to to bring us face to face with mm -hmm. them yeah i i saw something on uh youtube t today douglas wilson i don't know if you how familiar you are with douglas um he he must have had some correspondence with John Piper, who's shaped me more, probably more than than anyone else um, over the years. Just regarding the content, responding to his son Abraham's current, um, I don't even know how to describe that, but I felt the pain of that on behalf of the fathers. Um, Because because I, I I agree with the sentiment of the of the chap you had lunch with yesterday, <laughs> um, that we'll just make different error, different mistakes. But it, it feels to me I don't know what you think about this. It feels to me like there's something more foundational, um, and I hesitate to use the word fundamental because that's the, that's Abraham's gripe, isn't it? I think fundamental evangelicalism. It feels to me like there's something more fundamental happening. Um, in the church globally at the moment, um, would, would you say? I Well, I always hesitate to know, have any idea of what's happening globally. It feels rather, <laughs> rather above my pay grade. But I I'm, I've been, think we've been very struck by, and again you get it in Psalm 74, where the people of God are called the poor and needy and the downtrodden, that the normal position of the people of God, that that's in verse 21, um, that the normal position of the people of God is to be weak, to be deeply aware of our poverty and of our need for God's grace in every day. And again and again and again, we begin, like the Corinthians, to begin to be seduced by power, whether it's the power of a powerful preacher or the power of money or the power of good musicians or the power of political influence mm. or the power of a strong personality, whatever it may be, we, we begin to be seduced by power and to forget that the, 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 the work of the gospel has always been through weakness and always will be. And when God humbles us, mm -hmm. it's a blessing. Mm -hmm. We wish it didn't hurt so much. Yeah. But it's a blessing when he does that. Mm -hmm. There's nowhere better to be than empty-handed um, yeah. on our knees. I think finally, just just I'm, I'm I could have just I think we could just easily go to prayer there. But I just want to ask you a bit more, if that's okay, about this thing of uh, the you mentioned about the global, um, not presuming to have an awareness of the global scene. But I'm 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 thinking of the British scene. Um, do you, do you have any thoughts on that? I know, I know you're being, I know you're joking to say it's above your pay grade, but you know what I'm, you know what I'm getting at is like being able to. I think it's a problem for the churches, um, 
thinking of Revelation, the first three chapters of Revelation, and so on. I think it's I think it's to the detriment of ind- individual congregations or individual church leaders um, when there isn't an awareness of what's going on more generally in a nation or a country. I'm not I'm not meaning the entire globe because I know that there are different nuanced differences in you know the West and the East, for example, but. Um, I think I think it's a real short-sighted detriment to the to the churches where there can't there isn't more of an awareness of what the Lord's doing in a nation. Um, do you know what I mean? Yes, yes, and I'm probably um, pr- pretty ignorant about that myself. If I had to hazard a guess, mm. um, I would guess that one of the biggest the the, the two biggest challenges for the Bible-believing churches in this country are um, holiness of life and depth of understanding, and that we, we, we tend to be careless about what real holiness of life means. And we tend to be superficial in our teaching and preaching. Uh, I'm just very conscious that the people we are seeking to preach to and teach are being preached at every waking hour of their lives by our culture. Um, soaps, podcasts, news feeds, um, we're, we're being shaped by that. And in response to that, what do we do in our churches? Well, some churches give wonderful depth and work really hard at um, meaty, substantial Bible teaching. Mm. Um, but I think we could raise our game in, in that. That would be my guess. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, I, I'm rather dubious about punditry and certainly about Common. being regarded as a pundit. I understand. Um, I think when you, when you alluded to... Um, just the I can't remember how you put it, but you know the when you refer to the charismatic movement and that there'd be there's this kind of tendency for um, unholy affections. Let's put it that way, disordered affections. But then at the other end of things, you know there is this re- almost retarded, um, stunted is probably a better word when it comes to to the affections. You know, yes. Yeah. I, and I think there's something in that in terms of this national question, um, in terms of the separation of things that are never supposed to be separated and that have been because of man-made interference, basically, um, which is why I love reading the book of Acts. And it sounds cliched, but you read the book of Acts and there doesn't seem to be this separation of things that we typically separate. Um, but anyway, that it's been really good talking and... Uh, Thank you for your time again. It's uh, it's good, even though it was just a brief look at the Psalm Psalm seventy four here. I'll go away and probably read that later, and so on. Look forward to your your work coming out. You've written a book on Job as well, haven't you? I've written two big books on Job. I've written a, a full commentary um, called Job: The Wisdom of the Cross, and I've written a briefer introduction, which has just been published again in the states. It's called Trusting God in the Darkness. Mm. Um, uh, which is a briefer introduction to the book of Job. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're probably the books, Job and Psalms, that I've worked at most intensively mm-hmm. so far. Well, thank you for your work on it. I mean, we, as I say, we've loved it and um, benefited from it. I'm sure lots of people have. Um, the, what was the title of that Job one again? The 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 full one is called Job the wisdom of the cross mm-hmm. and the, the the lighter one it was published in this country by ivp some years ago and mm-hmm. it was called out of the storm mm-hmm. and it's just been published a slightly revised edition in the united states uh, and it's called um trusting god in the darkness i think in light of what we've been talking about there that's a, it's a really good fitting title to just have in mind um, as we pray, would would you um, would you mind praying for us just as we close? Very gladly. 
Dear God, our heavenly Father, we thank you that one day the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ will be complete mm. and spotless, that beautiful bride. And as we grieve, as we are part of and we see the broken downness and the ungodliness and the weakness of the Church of Christ in our land and in many places, we thank you that we can hold on to that promise that, as the Lord Jesus said, one day he would raise up every single one whom the Father had given him. And that wonderful vision in Revelation of the spotless bride. And we pray that you would humble us under your mighty hand, uh, that we might know what it is to have sufficient grace in our weakness, that you'd give us grace to repent um, whenever you show us our sins, and that you'd give us grace to persevere. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Just, um, just looking here as I pray, that verse again, you have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. It reminds me of that bit in Acts 17 where it talks about the Lord has established the boundaries and the exact locations for people to live and so on. Um, Father, we, we do thank you for this for this stunning reality that is a mystery to us that your word is living and eternally and infinitely has that um, incomparable power to divide and to cut us where we need cutting and to heal us in, in the way that we need healing. And Lord, we do pray now for folk listening that there would be that sense of cast iron assurity that you have established everything and that the, the sun rises at your say so and sets at your say so everything um just a wonderful reminder in the midst of chaos and in, in the midst of um distress and so on that you are sovereignly perfectly in control and we pray now together for for that sense of peace that comes from really truly knowing that in our hearts by your spirit and that folk listening would know that in, in whatever context they, they listen from today or tonight or whatever, that there would be that sense of um, when you communicate to our hearts by your spirit, it is like nothing else and no one else. So Lord, we pray for that peace and that shalom for, for folk listening as we've discussed this today. And Lord, we pray, I pray for Christopher as he continues to work um, on these projects and that he would know um, the joy of that, the fruit of that. And I pray that as he writes, that he would know the unction of your spirit that is, that provides a sharp edge to, to these books. Um, pray you protect him, bless him, bless his family, and Lord, give him joy in his heart, as well as the lament and how to communicate about that lament. What a gift that is of testimony for others. Pray that there'd be great fruit from that as he's honest as we are all indeed honest. We pray in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode. You trusted. It's been a blessing. If you want to help us take these media podcasts and videos and so forth into a new level of production, please do consider going to our Patreon page. You can find that link in the show notes and consider becoming one of our supporters. We'd be grateful. Until next week, let's keep praying. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm.